From the file of Why Haven't I Heard That Song for Years, Steve Perry with O'Sherry. Who is Steve Perry? Well, he was the lead singer of Journey, and this was from his first solo album, which uh, is terrible, don't buy it. It's called Street Talk, of course. But this song, wow, it's about his real-life girlfriend at the time, Sherry Swafford, who appeared in the video, and Perry and writers had started composing the song at midnight with little more than the simple chorus Oh Sherry and Hold On, Hold On a few simple sounds and Swafford had been in the room uh, but had gone to sleep because of the late hour and that's all I can tell you really about that song uh, needless to say though um, it kind of, it's very filmic that, that, that song isn't it Chris it's yeah. kind of like a film set isn't it it is and it builds and it builds and it builds and what's, what it leaves me thinking about is I've forgotten all these things in life but why is it I remem- remember the lyrics of my youth I know every lyric yeah. <laughs> that was about to come Yeah, and it's a crap song by Steve Perry who's he yeah exactly uh, nonetheless uh, quite the banger. It is uh, 25 to 5. The panel are NZ National, Sarah Sparks and Chris Clark with me this afternoon. It became the symbol of the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. The 10 metre tall, massive industrial bull was a showstopper. A truly awesome moment as a lone woman walks up to this massive red-eyed smoking beast and has now taken pride of place in Centenary Square in the centre of Birmingham. It has become an instant tourist attraction, often attracting a crowd just staring. It has its own Twitter account, but the future of the board does remain uncertain. With us is Mike Kelt, the CEO of Artem, who built this bull. Mike, lovely to have you on the panel here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Well, very nice of you to call. <laughs> and thanks for getting up early for us too, Mike. Um, this, this must have been an unusual brief for you, a massive industrial steampunk-style 10-metre bull. Yes, well, uh, Iqbal uh, Khan, who you know, was director of the ceremony, uh, obviously came up with this in his, his dreams sometime. <laughs> but uh, when we first were told about it and asked, is it possible? It was a bit of a head-scratcher. <laughs> I, I can only imagine, and one imagines where you start, you know, from a sort of a simple drawing. But it made quite a spectacular entrance, you know, smoke and lights, the eyes. Did you get the reaction you were hoping for? Oh, I mean, the reaction was way beyond what I was hoping for. I never expected it to get anything like the <laughs> sort of adulation. I mean, it, it is, in fact, quite emotional. Uh, you've mentioned it's in Centenary Square at the minute, and sort of on the hour we do a, a very short sort of demonstration of it, of it doing some of its moves, and there are thousands of people turn up to 
have a look. Wow. And I, I just stare at them all, and they all have so many questions. It's very humbling, <laughs> in fact. Wow. Almost like this is what I and my company did because you don't want it to be like the Spinal Tap movie, do you? Where the props um, uh, just don't dent. You know, you've got that Stonehenge prop that is too small for the stage. It had to have the scale. <laughs> it had to have the scale. It had to have the magnitude. It's ten meters tall, Mike. Yes. Well, I mean, at the beginning, that was um, certainly a major consideration, uh, and we were sitting around the table having a meeting in fact because of all Zoom and pandemic stuff, and most people are in, um, you know, online. And, and Iqbal was explaining what this idea was, and there was a sort of stony silence as, <laughs> as he asked for solutions to the problem. <laughs> um, we've got a we, have, we have done, not, not, we've never done something quite as big as that, but we have done similar um, things based on, uh, this was on a sort of telehandler holding it up. Uh, we did a lady, a lady Godiva for Coventry about ten years ago. Okay. Yes, Sarah. I, I'm just fascinated about the, uh, the the construction approach and and the, the like the the fun facts in terms of your materials. Like, was it built in in pieces and then constructed once you obviously got to uh, the final destination? Because there is a beast of a bull. Well, the first thing that we did, in fact, was to have a clay model um, made in well, made in clay, obviously, uh, just to get the right shape. Because trying to draw something up uh, in three dimensions, even on a computer, often doesn't work. Uh, and once it was done in clay, which was about four hundred and fifty mil long, we were able to manipulate it and sort of point out exactly where we wanted the joints. And that became the core point, you know, sort of starting point. After that, it was drawing up actually on the kitchen table with a pencil and paper to get the detail. Um, And we were constrained greatly by time because this wasn't really happening until the start of January. So, you know, the first thing was, where are we going to get the the materials from? And, And the first problem was the legs because the legs had to move realistically and they had to you know be strong enough to to lift up the entire weight of that leg and, and they're big so we started with the legs which sounds a bit strange perhaps because we had to order and when we were looking at suppliers who could only deliver in three months and that was no use and in fact we found our supplier um, in the birmingham area yeah. which could supply uh, the basic motors so that's oh. where it started and we worked from there so, Mike, can I ask you the, the point of the bull? Is it because of the bull ring, the shopping centre in Birmingham? Or somebody else said to me it was actually about um, commemorating the woman who used to make the, the, the chains that were actually used to chain up slaves. Well, what's the story behind the bull and its significance for Birmingham? Uh, well, I think it's probably quite deep. Um, I mean, you'd really need to talk to Iqbal about the, the detail of, of where his, his thinking was coming from, but it sort of represented both the industrial past and, of course, Birmingham is steeped in, in that uh, yes. centre of all sorts of industry. Uh, and, yes, Birmingham was the first place to have a bullring in, in, you know, in Britain. Um, and that was partly to do with uh, trading markets. Uh, oh. I think later on, you know, also um, sort of bullfighting of some sort. Uh, 
Yes, and it, and it came to represent, I think, the sort of oppression of various peoples over the you know many 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 years. Uh, so you know, and then it, the, the women were chain makers of their day, and they were one of the first people to effectively go on strike, you know, withdraw their labour uh, because of the terms and the conditions of their employment, mm-hmm. opposed to the men, uh, and they were the people who were dragging the, this bull into the arena. It was just soaked in symbolism, Mike. I mean, watching the this bull enter and you have the, the chains the women are holding and then the, that lone woman, as I said, just walking up to that bull. I mean, it was actually quite, um, I've got to say, a bit of a teary moment. Particularly also, can I just say, you managed to make the bull seem to be like a sentient being. Here you had this what looked to be a cast iron bull, but how it was operated felt very, I guess, human-like. Well, yes. I mean, one of the major problems to start with was how was it going to to be manipulated? How was it going to stand up? And of course, it had to be safe. So with a huge, heavy 17.5 ton telehander hiding underneath it. Um, And the bull by the time we'd finished, which is made of basically very thin wall aluminium tubing. Is it? It's not steel. no, no, no steel in it at all. <laughs> what? Um, and and very thin, uh, sort of semi-rigid uh, plastisote foam. So the surface you're looking at, majority of it is foam, and a little bit of it is fiberglass. So Mark, that was to keep the weight down. So the bullet itself, although it's ten meters high, only cost, only weighs about two and a half tons, and That's it's unreal. on top of the seventeen and a half ton telehander, so that it's not going to fall over, and the wind isn't going to blow it over. Which is another reason why the design had lots of sort of holes all the way through it, just so if it was windy, the wind would pass through it. So, Mike, there's a campaign to keep the bull going, um, but is it something that could be kept, or is it quite a temporary um, thing that you've created? Is it possible to keep it? Got to keep it. Well, well, it's certainly possible to keep it. I mean, it's certainly, but it wasn't designed to be kept. I mean, it was designed Mm. to do the ceremony on the following day to be dismantled. It was only only in the last few weeks leading up to the the ceremony that it was decided it would then move to Centenary Square. And in fact, it walked from Centenary Square with a police escort overnight, (laughs) um, which must have been a funny sight. I mean, I must admit, I went to bed and and got up early to go and deal with it. But the chaps who were bringing it, I think, had quite a laugh. Amazing. And now you've got... One of the... I was going to say, Mike, and now you've got a political issue on your hand because there's a, 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 a there's a lobby by some MPs to keep it. Extraordinary. It, it is extraordinary. I mean, it is amazing the number of people who come up and, and want to keep it. And it, it seems to have just struck a chord with people yeah. of Birmingham. Uh, it's, it is very emotional even just standing in the square and talking to people. Oh, I, think, I think it could be kept. There's nothing there's not to stop it, but I think it would have to really be indoors somewhere. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being us with us in, in, in New Zealand, Mike. I re- appreciate it. You're very welcome. <laughs> That's uh, Mike out there. Uh, he is the person uh, with his team built this extraordinary uh, Commonwealth Games book. Have you been to Birmingham, either of you? I'd love to go. No, I, yeah. only London. Yeah. What Many years ago, it's an amazing city, and yes. it's a city going through quite a transformation. A lot yeah. of history there, right? A incredible history. Yeah, mm. beautiful place to visit, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. Now, to this completely different topic, we are with Sarah Sparks and Chris Clark today. There's an increasing concern that a number of Kiwis 
excuse me, and an ever-growing number are experiencing what can be termed digital exclusion. This is where people might not have, say, Wi-Fi capability, have no connection for whatever the reason. But if you want to get in touch with someone, it's more likely only through the internet these days. Citizens Advice Bureau is a service where they still have an actual person at an actual desk. And they've been sharing stories with politicians about the real-world consequences of digital exclusion. With us as National Advisor at the Citizens Advice Bureau, Sasha Green. Kia ora, Sasha. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora, panel. Tell us a couple of the stories that you've been sharing. Well, um, there are many, many stories because this um, this comes out of a campaign we've now been running for over two years where we collected initially um, over 4,000 client stories of people who were struggling to interact with public services because of the shift online. And that can be as simple as um, being told when you're needing to apply for a a benefit that you just need to log into your MyMSD or um, maybe it's that your uh, tax notifications are all sitting in your MyIR um, we we see people all the time who are facing barriers, not just because of a lack of access to a digital device or a connection, but because the online service doesn't meet their needs and they actually want to talk to another person. What's the worst sector? Oh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm afraid to say it's across the board. Um, there's a real drive within government for public services to shift online and um, there are impacts for people across the board. So, as I said, you know, it could be to do with income support or taxes, but it might also be applying to the Tenancy Tribunal or seeking oh. mediation for an employment dispute. Um, and then, of course, we've got this happening in the in the private sector as well. But we want we want the public sector to be setting a good example in terms of inclusive, accessible services. Sarah. I agree. And, um, you know, Totoko, what you're doing with this kaupapa, I saw it when I was uh, chair of a COVID response community panel for the last year. And um, there needs to be some balance and temperance. And not everyone, and you're absolutely right, has the accessibility or um, language skills. And there's something sacred, actually, about speaking to a human being on the end of the phone or or meeting with them even better face-to-face if, it, if you really need to. Uh, and and also having making room for pen and paper. You, you know, we live in a diverse collective and we have different needs. So uh, well done. And, and may uh, the powers that be in Wellington acknowledge and to change the system to accommodate this. Stata Sarah, uh, we'll, br- we'll come back to you, Sasha. Sorry, uh, Chris. Yeah, I think the digital revolution uh, is an inevitability. However, that doesn't mean that we should leave people behind. And mm-hmm. in some ways, I sit there and think about the commercial sector. Well, more more for them if they can't take their customers with them and actually respond to their customer needs. But when it comes to government, I think it's it's far more serious. If you can't access simple things like a tenancy tribunal, the IRD, MSD, and when we think about people who can't access those services, there's often um, reasons why they can't, and in many ways they're often disadvantaged in other areas of their life as well. So it seems to me that society has well, a social responsibility to take those people well, with them. Well, sure, I pick up on that, uh, Sasha, and uh, to those who might ask, look, come on, let's get real. How hard can it be to get your Wi-Fi sorted, to go online? It is the simplest of things. What is the barrier? 
there are many Wallace, and I, um, yeah, I, I dispute the the, um, the the view that it's easy and straightforward. It might be easy to plug a cord into the into the wall or um, do those things, but that's a, that's different from having to carry out um, processes that are sometimes complex mm-hmm. and be expected to do that online. So it's not about saying digital services can't be of value and can't, you know, for some people they're going to work really well um, but they don't meet the needs of every person in every situation. Mm-hmm. So we managed to um, get our petition to Parliament and they agreed this was of sufficient All right. importance for a, for a special debate in the House. Okay, very interesting. We'll follow this up. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly uh, one that people are, seem to be quite interested in. For now, though, Sasha Green, thank you. Kia ora. That's Kia the ora. Uh, National Advisor at the Citizens Advice Bureau. I can tell you something now, right now, Chris. Um, there is, um, I was just going to say, Real Me. Have you tried to get in online with Real Me? It's quite hard. So I've been sensing this as well. You know, you go online, you try and get somewhere. Oh, God, so frustrating. Oh, yeah, and you just give up. And just think yes. about Go back to the beginning of COVID. I mean, how many of us had conversations with our parents uh, or our in-laws about how simple it is to use Zoom and ended up <laughs> almost having shouting matches between the generations in terms of all you have to do, Mum, is just push that button. No, no, not that button. Try try that one. And it almost broke families apart. And that was something as simple, seemingly, as Zoom. But uh, there really is a generational divide. And I think in many ways it's like learning a, a different language. It's a whole different language being digitally connected than when you're being connected analogue. Yeah. Very good. Now, uh, if you were, if you were uh, listening to the show yesterday, you may have heard my regret at having never experienced Outward Bound as a child. Well, I've been contacted by a few people to urge me that it's not too late. Now, I have to admit, I'm a bit apprehensive about doing something like this now. Uh, but one of our listeners, Robin, we're trying to get in hold of him, did it when he was 50. But with us is the CEO of Outward Bound, Melindy McLean, with us on the line. Kia ora, Melindy. How are you? Kia ora, Wallace. I'm very well because I have done an Outward Bound course and it's not too late for you. But are you sure? Because I'm in my early 50s and um, things like tying knots, I can't tie a knot. I can't do anything like that. I put it to you that the likes of me, not suited to your course. It's funny, it's one of the most common things people say about Outward Bound is I I don't know if I could do that. Um, and, and we have courses for everyone. Uh, it, you know, there, there, there are some basic physical requirements that you have to meet. Um, but our oldest uh, attendee was 84 years old a couple of years ago. So you're no. well in the running for that. <laughs> <laughs> Round the panel, who's on Outward Bound? No, I haven't done it. Love to do it. No, I haven't either. Brilliant. I've got three new candidates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, steady on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can I also just say, too, that um, I have uh, an issue, gosh, being a bit personal here, but I find it very hard to walk. I've got a very bad hip. So, you know, I use a walking stick a lot. Um, does that bar me from something like Outward Bound? No, we, we run a, a couple of different programs for individuals with um, either impairments or disabilities. So we've had students, and we have, often have students who come who might be in a wheelchair, uh, and we run adapted programs so that we um, can still share the wonders of, of an Outward Bound course with a, with a wide range of, of students. 
so I, I think we could find something for you, Wallace. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lindy, one of the things that's always interested me with Outward Bound is there's all the physical elements and all the testing of, of your limitations and so on, but there's also that three-day solo where you drop people off in some remote part of the sounds and they just spend three days in their own company. Now, that's something you've been doing for years and years and years and years. What's the point of the three-day solo? And I've heard from others who've done the program that in some ways it was the most powerful part of the whole program. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really profound experience, actually, Chris. And, and you know, the, the physical elements of Outward Bound is often the thing that's focused on and, and the activities. But we're not there to teach you how to rock climb or to go sailing or, or to kayak down a, a white water river. <laughs> it's about learning, you know, about yourself and mm-hmm. connecting with your values and, and learning what it means to be resilient and what you're capable of. And the solo is part of that. So it's sort of juxtaposed against uh, quite intense physical activity. Uh, you, you do, we do do these, these solos. And, and it, was, it was definitely the most challenging part of my course that I did. I did two nights in the bush. Uh, but it, it, you imagine just, just with your thoughts, you well, know, uh, alone. Melinda, we have someone who did the Outward Bound course in her 50s. We're going to go to them. With us is Robin. Kia ora, Robin. Thanks for being on. Yeah, no, no, no trouble. I wanted to share my experience. So, how, yeah, you tell me, how was it? <laughs> you, you've just been talking about the solo, and in my group, um, most people viewed it in trepidation. They were very nervous about being in the bush, um, but came back positively. For me, it was yay, a solo, <laughs> because... Um, because the course was so intense, morning till night with the group, great things, a little bit of everything, a little bit of this, a little bit of that on the go all the time, and I was just so looking forward to that solo. <laughs> Tell me something, Robin. You yeah. would you did it when about the same age as I am now. Would yes. you recommend me to do Outward Bound? Yeah, yes, I would. I would. And you mentioned you have um, a hip problem. Yeah. And, and your guest said there are there's a course for everyone I expect um, for me I was really nervous about the running the walking I just don't run <laughs> but I had to get to go on the, the course that I went I went on an I think it was over 40s or over 45s and had to get a certain level of fitness up for that course and I was struggling to do so but I'm glad I I just got there um, but my understanding is that there's a course for everyone, and it's not about what you can and can't do, like can you tie knots or can you not, because the guides are so knowledgeable and so good at teaching you, um, helping you through it. Inspiring, Sarah, isn't it? Very inspiring. Yeah. I like the balance between the, the group and the individual. Yeah. I love that, and the busyness and then the solitude. Um, yeah. it, it, it sounds amazing. Yes, it was amazing. It was. Chris. And also you're doing it in one of the most beautiful parts of New Zealand. Though the, the, the sounds, uh, the Melbourne sounds is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, what a great place to spend time with yourself and with a whole bunch of people. Just finally, 14 years on from doing Outward Bound, has it given you something for life? Um, yes. A lot of people say, yes, it changed me, it transformed me. For me, it confirmed that I was on the right track. Um, probably gave, yeah, it gives everyone more confidence, of course. 
um, the experiences that I wouldn't have ever um, been able to do because it's all it's all potted. It's all it's all in there. All those adventurous things. Um, Fourteen years on, it, I'm sure it's yeah. Stayed, it stayed with me. Stayed with you. Uh, for me, yeah, for me it's confirmed, yes, I'm on the right track. For other people, oh, I never thought of it like that. Oh, it was amazing, it was amazing. The facing your fears thing I think is important, like hanging over a cliff waiting for a group of virtual strangers. Okay, no, thank you. No, all done. Thank you, Robin. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you, Robin. See you later. No, not doing it. No, no. Kia ora, Robin. Oh, hanging over a cliff. No, I'm not doing it now. Um, all right. Sarah Sparks, Chris Clark. See you later. Hey, thanks for, thanks for the biscuits. You're welcome. All right. I'm Wallace Chapman. Back tomorrow, 3.45. Till then.